Welcome to The Curriculum, a podcast by Cornerstones Education. Here we discuss all things curriculum, plus leadership issues, teaching tips and much, much more. Hi everyone, welcome to the podcast. It's episode 69. I'm your host, Caroline Pudner. Just to give you a quick introduction to my guest, Bob Harrison. Bob is a professor, he's a visiting professor at University of Wolverhampton, and he's for many years been an education expert. He's been on various steering groups. He's an ed tech expert, talks a lot about home learning and remote learning and education technology. But in this episode, we really get into Bob's opinions on education at large and what the pandemic's taught us, where he thinks education should be going and about the kind of control and power that leaders and people on the front line have in terms of what our vision is for education. Whether or not you agree with Bob's opinions, I think you'll really enjoy our conversation anyway. It'll give you food for thought. And uh, yeah, just to say it was recorded a few weeks ago when we had uh, children working at home and uh, we touch on those areas. But yeah, I hope you really enjoy this conversation and thanks again for listening in. Bob, hello. Thanks for joining me today on the podcast. Hi, it's nice to be asked. I'm grateful for giving me a, a platform for my voice. Not at all. Well, I'm looking forward to talking to you. Obviously, now we're talking currently in the pandemic. We're in a, another lockdown. Uh, and all throughout this last these last few months, we've been, well, the education sector's been under immense pressure uh, for those involved, the children, the families, and of course, the teachers and education leaders. And we'll cover some of those issues and your thoughts on them in a moment. But first, Bob, could you tell the listeners a bit about yourself, your previous experience, and also your current educational roles? Sure, Uh, thank you. Well, uh, it's it's not subject to this particular podcast, but I'm uh, a product of the 11 plus system in the wrong way. Uh, I I failed the 11 plus uh, and went to a secondary modern, but uh, fortunately I had a very tenacious mother who uh, decided that education was the best way forward and refused to accept that her son uh, was not very bright and therefore convinced me that I was a bit brighter than what the test formed out. So um, I I got passionate about teaching and education and I've been a teacher in secondary schools. I've been a governor of secondary and primary, but I moved into further education in the late 70s, early 80s, eventually became a principal and then uh, took early retirement in the late 90s and went to work for uh, the National College for School Leadership on the Building Schools for the Future programme and the NPQH and all that. But at the same time, because that was all consultancy work, uh, uh, I worked for Toshiba Information Systems and became their education advisor. So I've had uh, and still have, I'm still chair of governors at Northern College, I'm a governor at Oldham College, up until recently, I'd, I'd been 18 years as vice chair of governors of my local secretary. I've, uh, I've, I've retired from that now. So I've been heavily involved in education. And just only recently, within the last two months, I've been invited to be the visiting professor at uh, Wolverhampton University. So it's hardly the fast track. Uh, 11 plus fail to uh, professor at 70. But uh, it's, it's been a long journey. But uh, you know, again, I owe it to the tenacity of my mother. 
Probably a lot of us do, don't we? <laughs> so you've got a huge amount of experience, a lot in further ed and secondary and so forth, but you've got experience in learning design and we'll go into that in a minute and your and your views as well on um, how remote and blended online learning is, is being delivered. Yeah, and let, let me, let's make it clear, Caroline, mm. I, I'm not a primary specialist, but I do think there are key learning points that are transferable right across all sectors. I think FE and HE and secondary can learn an awful lot from primary, but similarly, similarly primary can learn some things, particularly like, as you say, about learning design and particularly about online learning uh, yeah. from to the other sectors. <laughs> I think a lot of people would agree, you know, listening that we do, we do and maybe should learn more from each other in, in the sector, you know, different age groups. I talked to quite a few early years practitioners who sometimes feel that their practice isn't as understood. So I think it's great to have as many people talking and, and a platform for people to talk about these things because it is it's very unusual, isn't it, what's happening at the moment? And the more heads on it, the better. In terms of priorities for leaders and teachers at the moment, what are they needing to focus on now uh, from what you've been hearing? Well, I, I think uh, the big challenge, um, let, let me just go, go back a, a little bit. I think there is a reason we were not as well prepared for these changes. Um, and that reason is in, in 2010, at that particular moment in time, uh, we had a, a national strategy for what's called harnessing technology. We had a national agency responsible for supporting schools and colleges called Vector. We had ring fence funding for schools for ICT. We had a £45 billion programme called Building Schools for the Future, of which 10%, i.e. £4.5 billion, I'll say that again, 4.5 billion pounds was ring fenced for the spending of ICT and the CPD to go along with it. And all of that stopped with the change of government in 2010. And what we've had for the last 10 years, up until the last 18 months, when the government came out with its pedagogical light ed tech strategy, which is more concerned with products and services than it is particularly with pedagogy and people, but up until that, basically, this government has taken a wrecking ball to the infrastructure and the support mechanisms for the use of technology for teaching, learning and assessment. So in, in some respects, before we start to move forward, we need to look back and learn the lessons from history and ask ourselves, well, why, why have some uh, schools and colleges found it more difficult to transition to uh, the online world? Because... There are, there are some, and Caroline, I'm a judge for uh, quite a few education awards, and I'm constantly inspired by the efforts, the creative efforts of teachers and learners, you know, in schools and colleges to innovate using technology to improve teaching, learning, and assessment. Assessment's a massive issue, but that's perhaps subject to another. So what, what I have is this contradiction, which is, you know, the government taking a wrecking ball to the infrastructure and support services. And yet, on the other hand, I'm constantly inspired by the efforts of teachers and learners and pupils and children and parents to use technology effectively and companies like Cornstones to, to develop resources and material. But I think what we're really lacking, if I'm honest, is a long-term vision about what teaching, learning and assessment could look like if we were to harness the full potential of technology. 
And as you know, my kids go to the local schools near where your kids go to. And uh, I'm pleased with the efforts that they're, they're making because they're doing things despite the system, not because of the system. And what they've got and what they're developing is a long-term vision of what uh, learning and teaching and assessment should be looking like. My grandkids will leave school. I've got eight of them, and they leave, will be leaving school somewhere between 2024. And the youngest over here in Manchester is six months old. He'll leave. Are you ready for this? In 2038. Doesn't now, bear thinking about. <laughs> now, well, it does. And I'm going to ask you to think about it. And I'm going to ask you, your listeners to think about it because... What I want you to do is just to reflect. In the last six months, the changes that you've had to make in your use of technology for work and for life and for, you know, your kids learning and everything like that. I mean, here we are, you and I, talking on a thing called Zoom. Six months ago, if I'd have said the word Zoom to you, you'd think I was referring to a an expansion of some of an image on screen. Now it's got a to, to zoom now is a new verb. Mm. It's to do what we are doing now. So reflect on the last six months and now fast forward to 2038. Yeah, and, we just don't and, know, do we? <laughs> exactly, we don't know. And and so the challenge is we need to have a vision. Because, you know, if, if you don't know and you don't know where you're going, you've got no chance of actually getting there. So whilst the vision needs to be adaptable and flexible and agile, uh, we need to have a vision of what learning might be looking like. Sadly, this contradicts with what the government's vision for teaching and learning is. And if you want a, 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 a great example of that, you only have to read the uh, DFE guidance and the Ofsted guidance that was produced last week on what, what Nick Gibb calls remote education. He, he refuses to use the word learning. He won't use the word learners. Everything is about remote teaching. He even used the word instruction last week as well. And if you look at the guidance that was written by Ofsted and then published by the DFE about what remote education, I'm sorry, but, you know, I've spent 50 years in teaching, learning, assessment across most of the phases. If that's what they think education is about, I've been in the wrong job for 50 years because their view of education is for children to be able to know and memorise facts. I'm afraid that that is not my understanding of education. And, and I actually have more faith in the teachers, learners, parents and children in their view of what education is than I do have in the Secretary of State. So I think it, what you're asking is what's the most important thing? I think the most important thing at the moment is to challenge the wisdom, alleged wisdom, that's being given us top down as to what education is. That's the most important thing is to say, I'm sorry, that's not our definition. That's not our values. That's not what education is in our view. Education is about all these other things. And therefore, we need to define what our vision of education is. And then, and this goes now to your point about learning design, the question then is, how do we use technology to design effective programs of learning that will support learners to, to achieve that? And, yeah. you know, let, let's, let's, let's get one other thing clear. The guidance uses, keeps using this word 
about education being delivered. It's not delivered. Pizzas are delivered. I'm afraid my understanding of teaching and learning is it's a bit more complex than that. It's, it's more about an interaction between a group of people, not just one teacher and another. Learning is not about teachers talking. It's not about downloading content. It's not about uh, remembering and memorising facts to regurgitate at some point later. It's much more complex than that. And in my view, it's a very skillfully designed combination of... And, and let's not forget, you need a device and some connectivity to get to it in the first place. And that's another story we can come back to later. Uh, a combination of context first, context, then content. And the content needs to be uh, creative and engaging and stimulating. Not like some of the crap that we've got that's being broadcast out. Context, content, connectivity co-creation, collaboration, co-construction, all of that in a community of learners, of engaged and empowered learners, not just learners sitting there listening, but you know, engaged and empowered to be able to do something. And all of that supported by a group of capable, confident, compassionate teachers. You know, the idea that it's about broadcasting content that kids memorize and then regurgitate back. It's just not my understanding of what education is all about. Mm. So back to your original question. I know that's a long rant, <laughs> no. but, but, and a ramble, but your question is what's the more, the priority and the priority for me, really the core question is, you know, what's education supposed to be about? How do we support uh, teachers and learners to learn and how do we use technology effectively to do that? So, you know, giving teachers uh, lessons to download, to deliver to the kids and everything like that, I don't think that's a good use of teacher's time. It's unprofessional. I think much better uh, is to be able to give teachers the confidence and capability and the tools, and I think this is where Cornerstones comes in, uh, and, and let me make this all clear, as well as not knowing anything much about primary schools, I have no commitment at all or relationship with cornerstones i'm doing this because of what i believe in rather than you know you're not paying me this is entirely voluntary i don't do anything now everything i do now is voluntary because i'm passionate believing what i'm saying um that uh, it's about giving teachers the skills and the confidence to design and co-design and co-create programs even including helping the and the learners and again this gets more difficult the younger you get you know, that's a process that will engage and empower learners, will enhance and extend learning and support teachers in, online, in supporting learners with online learning, not online teaching. Mm. That was yeah. a long answer to your first question, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, but you got to the heart of, I think what I'm seeing as well is in a, in a positive way, this really horrible situation has brought these issues to the fore don't you think Bob so people questioning what is education what do we mean by it, it isn't just a transactional affair it's something deeper than that absolutely um, and, 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 and I think yeah you're right you're right that that, that it is probing and I think so you know your, your first important question what what's the most important thing and the most important thing is that we we reflect on it's a very bitter irony for me, Caroline, to be honest with you, because 
um, you know, for 25 years, I, I, I've been, you know, singing this song of, and, and others, you know, people in various, NACE and other organisations, the Technology Pedagogy Association, other professors, you know, other people. And th this is partly the Nick Gibbs thing. There was, a, there was a classic conversation that was recorded the other week where he was talking to the subject expert groups and he was explaining how pleased he was with Oak National. And this is the phrase. It's on Twitter, you know, I cut and pasted it and I put it on Twitter. He's pleased because what it's allowed him to do is to wrestle the control of the curriculum and the pedagogy away from professors and give it back to teachers. Now, what he means by give it back to teachers, he give it back to some teachers and the some teachers are the ones that, you know, support his and are aligned with his pedagogical views about the knowledge rich curriculum and everything like that and the direct instruction he uses the words direct instruction now don't get me wrong i have yet to find in 50 years of working in education a curriculum that wasn't knowledge rich you know every curriculum is knowledge rich but that's not the yeah. only thing uh, you know there are other things that go along with the curriculum so uh, i'm clear uh, my colleagues the teachers lecturers, governors, managers, principals, head teachers. I'm positive that they will learn something from this situation. And it's a bitter irony for me because 25 years I've been pushing this narrative and then within six months, a deadly virus that's cost 100,000 lives achieves more in six months than I've managed to do in 25 years. Uh, but there's been a cost, hasn't there? You know, there's 100,000 people died. And it's a shame that it's taken this because I and others have been pushing this uh, message about learning and what it really, the complications of it and the role of technology. You know, and I can name, you know, lots of other people, Diana Lorillard, Peter Twining, Stephen Heppel, Donald Clark, that I could rhyme them off, have been pushing the same story for a long time on social media and writing on blogs and having articles published and basically the in the last 10 years they've been ignored uh and and i think they've been ignored for ideological reasons not pedagogical reasons but this is where cornerstones is really important because as i understand it the new tool that you're designing and developing is giving the power back to the teachers giving the power back to the teachers to control and construct their own curriculum rather than download it somebody else's version of what those programs of study you know mean in terms of teaching and learning yeah i was going to ask you i think you touched on it earlier actually bob when something like this happens you kind of look for the best resource you can get hold of at that time and you know schools have had to really quickly come up with their sort of policy for online learning um i want to ask you in a bit about the terminology around that because it's quite problematic isn't it but going back to this issue uh, about resources, what have you noticed as being the main issues around using kind of, as you call it, downloadable schemes and resources and getting those together? Uh, I, I think you're right. I, uh, I've just spent a couple of weeks judging the entries for the better wards. And, uh, you know, I think there are something like 15 categories of the better wards. And each one of those categories gets often gets up to 50 entries. And if you look 
you know, fantastic. And many of those uh, organisations in, in uh, BISA, British Education Suppliers Association, I think you'll remember, uh, are ex-teachers who've decided they wanted to do something different or they got frustrated with the teaching and they decided the potential of technology. Quite a lot of companies have started in people's back bedrooms. And I always felt, I don't know if you've ever been to the bet, the bet show, but I always tried to avoid the Apples and the Googles and the Microsofts. And I used to drift down to the ends of BET because you get those small innovative companies that, you know, often were teachers or educators coming up, like the Educate program, uh, you know, where they bring together educators and uh, uh, researchers and a, uh, a company who've got an idea with some venture capital and they put all because that's where you know the real creation takes place and now you've got big hitters like bbc education and bite size involved you've got stuff like the khan academy and you know and everything like that and it must be for teachers absolutely overwhelming you know yeah. that my goodness me you know what do i do and, and i suppose the temptation caroline is you know, you do turn to something, but for the life of me, I don't know why the government didn't turn to the world-beating, world-renowned British Open University and FutureLearn, and maybe with Freeview and Bytesets, and with the offer that they had from the the subject associations, you know, the expert subject, and say, listen, we've got this problem. Looks like schools are going to have to close. You know a lot about online learning. You know a lot about creating resources. You know a lot about supporting. Please help us to make this as accessible and engaging to as many people as possible. If that had been the criteria, they wouldn't have gone to a couple of teach firsters uh, to, to, to you know, getting recording teaching lessons and everything like that. It was just the wrong solution. And I think, you know, the danger is people will look to that as this is this is what Ofsted are looking for, and, and that that's the real danger, you know, because Ofsted, the the, the Secretary of State, uh, even mentioned it. What about you know the the BISA one thousand plus members who have creating educational software, educational hardware, educational resources? What about BBC Bite Size? What about the Khan Academy? Duh, 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 duh. So I can understand that teachers must be overwhelmed. But from my experience of being a teacher, training with teachers, growing up with teachers, teaching with teachers, employing teachers, being married to a teacher, being divorced by a teacher, remarrying a teacher, having children who are teachers, I know <laughs> one thing is absolutely certain. You can do an awful lot with teachers, but not very much to them. And yeah. teachers will believe other teachers. And that's why, you know, the power of the CPD networks, uh, the power of organizations like NACE, like BISA, Twitter has been a fantastic free resource for learning and links. If it's done in the right way, if... There are some people who like Twitter to uh, make snidey and snarky comments and do virtue signaling. I'm afraid they get blocked fairly quickly. There are others, most people, are happy to share, happy to learn from others and freely give the resources. So, you know, I've absolute utmost admiration for the teachers because let's, let's be fair, 
they've been dropped in it, haven't they? And the assumption, as, as the Ofsted guidance this week says, don't worry, there is no need to change much from your normal way of practising teaching to online. They're absolutely fundamentally wrong about that. The idea, you know, that denies 30 years of research into online learning, the idea that all you do is taking how you practice in a classroom and then record it and stick it on a screen. It's just nonsense. It makes me think Ofsted and Education Gov do not understand the true meaning of the words. And I've had a, a bit of stick. Uh, I, I gave some evidence to the all-party parliamentary group last week. And uh, Damien Hines, who was the former Secretary of State and was the chair of the group, when I challenged them about this thing about using the words remote learning, remote teaching, online teaching, online learning, remote teaching, he said, well, we can all get hung up on definitions. I I'm sorry, this is not about definitions. This is about the meaning of words. And if Ofsted say these words are what we mean by learning, that shapes everybody's behaviours. But if they're wrong, they're wrong. So if they're wrong, they're shaping then the wrong behaviours. It's not, it's, it's not a, a merely issue about definitions. And, you know, I think his response is, well, we can argue about definitions all day long. No, we can't. It's very simple. There's a fundamental difference. Uh, well, let's start off with that learning cannot be remote. Yeah, I'd like to ask, yeah, to just unpack that a little bit. Well, who, who's learning, Caroline? Mm. Who, who is doing the learning? Well, the children. And where are the children? Where's that learning taking place? Yeah, I mean, some are in school, obviously, and some are at home. All right, let me ask you about what you've learnt in your life. You, what you've learnt in your life, where is, that, where is that learning? Is it with you? Is it, is it inside your head? Is it, is yeah, it yeah. as a person? Yeah. Uh, how could it possibly be remote then? Yeah. If you own it. If learning is something that happens, is a dynamic activity that happens between me and a stimulus, you know, and that stimulus can come from a teacher or a resource, it's usually supported by a teacher. It can't possibly be somewhere else. And if you look at the Oxford definition of remote, it's something that takes place somewhere else. Well, learning doesn't take place somewhere else. It takes place with me. So it can't possibly be remote. Now, you know, what uh, Gibb and the and Ofsted are saying is there is remote education. I'm not sure what that means. And there is remote teaching. Well, I can see that if you record a lesson and then it gets broadcast out, that is fairly remote. I've sat in some lessons as a pupil and a learner, as a student, and I've taught some where both I and the students have been very remote. You know, just, just because you're in a in a location together doesn't mean to say there's you know you, you're not remote and on the yeah. contrary I've, I've i've done about eight MOOCs at the, the, so far i haven't completed any of them if i'm honest with you but i've learned a tremendous amount but i haven't felt remote i felt very well connected to the learners and the people that were teaching me and everything like that so i think it's not just a case of definitions it goes back to your original point is about what's the heart of what we're doing and the heart of what we're doing is engaging with young minds to stimulate them, to engage them, to teach them, yes, to help them learn. Uh, and, you know, the way in which we do that is complex and is yeah. set in a context. 
it's the pedagogy, isn't it? It's your approach, the best approach for making that learning happen. So in a way, it doesn't matter where you are, does it? Uh, Absolutely. For, some, for certain lessons, obviously, a, a, a really difficult done remotely. But like you were mentioning, the Open University and lots of other ed tech solutions, aren't there, for a really good learning design, which does make that change within a learner's mind and makes the learning happen. So, yeah, I see what you mean now. I think people think of remote just meaning that the children are remote from the school and that it's happening yeah, exactly. over a distance, I suppose. It's, a ver- it's, a very it's interesting. Simpl- it's the simplistic. Yeah. It's the simplistic. And, and uh, you know, I'll, I'll give this a plug because uh, they've given me a voice in a platform. Uh, there's a publication. It's not primary, so therefore your colleagues won't have seen it. But nevertheless... It's in SecEd, Secondary Education. It's a publication. I wrote it in November, and it's called There is Nothing Remote About Online Learning. And even though it's written for a secondary education publication, the, the, the key learning points and the discussion is, is as appropriate to primary. Yeah. And I mean, we've said a lot about this on our website and also in this podcast, as regular listeners will, you know, remember if you've heard the Uh, episodes we've had with Melanie and Simon who are the directors here about that clarity of your curriculum design and your educational approach in school Um, when that's in place it makes these kinds of situations easier Uh, they're still really hard but if you know why you're doing what you're doing it does make things a bit clearer do you agree Bob? Yeah and I think I can't remember the name uh, of of the uh, core design product that you've got what, what's it called um maestro yeah one of the things that um, in my discussion with simon was you know why why I, I felt very positive about it because it's we've had a lot of a lot of talk with brexit about taking back control and i think that's actually what teachers should do teachers should be taking back control and uh, you know that's that's what your tool has, helps them to do not just the tool itself, they need some help and support to, to be able to do that. Because, um, you know, my view is I've got more faith and confidence in teachers to design and support learning, not deliver. We've, accept, we've already accepted we don't deliver learning. It's much more complex than that. Uh, but they need to take back control. Uh, and, you know, it's quite sinister if you think about it. I was... Uh, sacked by Dominic Cummins as the chair of the uh, expert teachers expert group that was set up to advise on the reform of the national curriculum in, in ICT okay and I was sacked and my, the rest of the teachers were sacked because we disagreed with the minister and the way that they wanted to shape the curriculum towards computer science we said no you know, this is not the best for all pupils, everything like that. So we, we got sacked. I actually think we've been proved to, to be right. But the dangerous point is you had Gove and Cummins that controlled the content of the national curriculum. I think there were two or three other chairs of the expert groups either got sacked or resigned out of principle. Uh, but Gove and Cummins controlled the content. Now we've got Gibb with the Institute of Technology, Institute of Teaching that is proposed, with the uh, framework for initial teacher training and with, bless you, and with trying to control the pedagogy. And for me, the combination of those things, controlling the content, 
controlling the way teachers are trained and educated. I don't think they're trained, I think they're educated. And controlling the way uh, that teachers teach is a very, very dangerous road to be going down. Well, obviously, I can't give my opinion on the podcast, but from what you're saying, so much of what's happening now is probably as a result of decisions made, you know, years, a few years ago. Um, and like we said earlier in the podcast, maybe now's a chance for people with real experience and knowledge in this sector to get together. And it's the marrying of teaching and learning with EdTech, which is exciting, isn't it, Bob? And Absolutely. I, won- I wondered, Absolutely. actually, do you get a sense that there are, like, despite everything, there are schools doing really yeah. great, great things, you know, and yeah. making decisions I, I- for themselves? Absolutely. And and I've been very critical of the government and will continue to be so. Uh, Like you say, you know, where we were 10 years ago, it would have carried on with that trajectory. We wouldn't be in the position that we're in now, but we are. And so give them credit. When Justin Greening was appointed as Secretary of State, you know, she went to a comprehensive school in Rotherham. The first thing she did when she went in, uh, this was before Damien Hines, she said to the civil servants, what are we doing about technology, about ICT and the use of technology? And they said, well, nothing, because, you know, Nick Gibb doesn't like it. He likes books, and traditional, everything like that. So she overruled him, and she set up a very small team of civil servants, fairly junior civil servants, but good people. And um, they were commissioned. And I, 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 you know, contributed to the development of this. Uh, it wasn't as radical as I thought it could have been and should have been. But they came out with what was called the EdTech Strategy, the DFE EdTech Strategy. And you can see it. It's, it's up there. As I said to you before, I think it's pedagogically light. Uh, I think yeah. it focuses on products and services. And it's much. it's as much about promoting you know, technology companies and technology and content than it is about promoting the way that we support learning. But put that to one side, at least it was something. Now, they backed that with the 10 million quid. And the school that we're talking about, King Egbert's near where you live and where my, some of my grandchildren go, is what is one of about 40 or 50 what are called ed tech demonstrator schools. Okay, and they received a bit of a bung, I don't know, it's 50 grand or something like that. And their job is to take the best practice that they've been used and recruit, you know, in between 10 and 20 other schools into a network. And like I said before about the teachers thing, teachers will learn from other teachers. Mm. They don't tend to learn from smart asses in suits who come and tell them how to do things. They will sit down with other teachers and say, have you tried this? Yeah, yeah, that was good. This was crap. I'm not using that. Have you tried this? And then they will take what they can and learn from it and use it and, you know, change it and adapt it and use it for their own purposes. So the, uh, there is some good stuff going out there. It's not exclusive to uh, the EdTech demonstrator schools because one of the, the, the bad thing, poor things about it was the criteria that the DFE came out with for them to be able to bid for the money in the first place was one, they had to be Ofsted outstanding, and two, they had to have a significantly high number of e-back entries. Now, from my experience over the years, some of the best use of technology I've ever seen has been in those schools that don't do, aren't Ofsted outstanding, and don't do e-back. In fact, I'll go a stage further. 
some of the best use of technology I've seen has been assistive technology in special education uh, schools. It's inspiring. It's inspiring. Yeah, it is. And, and, yeah. and, and I have to say, go on to Twitter. When I used to uh, go and do face-to-face, the first thing I would do would to t- say people, if you take nothing else away from today's session, get on Twitter. Go and talk to somebody in the coffee break who's on Twitter and ask them why and what they learn. But who to follow and who to learn from and who, mm-hmm. you know, you can challenge. I Honestly, I, I spend quite a lot of time on Twitter. And if a teacher or an lecturer or anything, if I, I got two or three this last week, you know, would you mind talking to our initial teacher trainers? Of course I will, yeah. I'd love, you know, nothing gives me greater pleasure than talking to the next generation of teachers. So I think... Uh, teachers will learn from other teachers. However, I have to say, just imagine what could have been achieved if we'd had a supportive government, a vision, some resources, some leadership, uh, and some, uh, you know, real support in the, the use of technology to enhance and extend learning and to engage and empower learners. Instead of which, we've got Oak National and the Ofsted guidance on what remote instruction is. Mm. So Good. teachers, teachers yeah. have done, teachers and learners have done what they're doing. It's despite the system, not because of it. I mean, if Bob, if you could bring in change at policy level, what would you do? What would you do right now? That's a really difficult one. Uh, it's unlikely to happen, but uh, I think it goes back to your your question uh, about vision and about the purpose of education and. Uh, you know, I'm a, a member of a number of uh, organisations uh, that are concerned with education. I subscribe to most of the journals and the publications and everything like that. And it's clear from around the world. What, what was noticeable, at the last Education World Forum that I went to, uh, it was cancelled this year because of COVID. And it usually runs alongside with BET. But they have all the education ministers from coming from all around the world. What was really noticeable listening to, you know, the education ministers from this country and that country about their vision for the future. And it was all about skills and digital and, uh, you know, cooperative learning and collaboration and communication. The one that stood out was our minister who talked about knowledge, instruction, teaching, uh, remembering facts, assessment if I'm honest with you, if you ask me to pick one thing, and this is for another podcast, so this is a nice link through for you to invite me back in a bit. Uh, yeah. I, I was a chief examiner for 10 years, and then I was a lead moderator for BTEC uh, after I'd, I'd stopped that. And if I'm honest, if there was one thing that I would change, because the assessment tail still wags the pedagogical dog, it's the whole assessment system. The assessment system that we've currently got is just not fit for purpose. And uh, I'm a member of an organization called Assessment Reimagined. Uh, you can Google it and you can find them up there. I'm a judge for the e-assessment association because in the private sector, in the training sector, in the private sector, there's absolutely fantastic stuff going on with the use of technology for assessment. If you ask me, is the one thing, two, let me have two things for me, Desert Island. I will let you. <laughs> okay. Vision of what education and learning is really about, not teaching, learning, and the assessment system. Because one leads to the other, isn't it? At the moment, we tend to value what we can measure rather than measure what we value. 
Yes, that's like when we talk about the curriculum is progression model, the assessment ideally should see how people are getting on, how learners are learning, what you've uh, what you've set out to to teach them. And, and, and let me tell you what what's really dispiriting and why I ended up took me a long time to, to, to see this as clearly as I do now. Uh, but as the chief examiner, you know, I would uh, and I got paid for it. And, I, you know, this is for a vocational education body. So it's not it wasn't primary, but the principle is still the same. So I would get paid to uh, set the exam papers. Right. And, uh, you know, I would set the questions and there was you know, a criteria for doing that. And we had a, an assessment. We had a, a bank of questions that we built up over a number of years. And then I would have employed maybe up to 20 uh, assistant examiners. So once I'd set the questions, they'd gone through a proper process, you know, da, 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 da. Uh, they would go out. And I think we, we, at the peak, we had 17,000 entries for the particular qualification that I was an, a chief examiner for. So we've got the variables of which question banks then we've got the variables of my 20 people who are marking them at two o'clock in the morning when the kids have gone to bed uh, and everything like that. And then, and this is the thing that eventually got to me, we plotted the marks of all 17,000 on a big, big piece of paper. And then we put a normal curve of distribution on it. And then we moved the normal curve of distribution up and down, depending upon what ratio we needed of passes, distinctions, merits and fails mm. now that can't be right can it it can't be right it can't you know it, it just cannot be right a way to give students feedback on how they've done is to apply a normal curve of distribution but it takes us right back to where i started maybe that's a good it's a bit like an eddie Izzard riff isn't it i started with the 11 plus now the 11 plus a f- false premise uh, a test that doesn't test what it's supposed to test based on the flawed mathematics now uh, that has now been proved that what he used to design it in the first place was flawed and didn't prove that tells 80% of the children you're not very bright and it tells 20% of the children although Becky Allen at uh, the uh, you, you know the researcher professor yeah. Becky Allen has done a lot of research that reckons that there's an error rate of about 20% so there are 20% of kids who end up in grammar school shouldn't be there and 20% who end up in secondary models who should be in grammar schools put that to one side so you've got a flawed test right mm. that that leads to the depression of the expectations of 80% of the population that's not what assessments about no. Is that a good place to finish? It's a fantastic place to finish. Bob, thank you for giving me so much to think about. I've got many friends who are still teaching. You know, a lot of people are suffering. A lot of a lot of educators are really, despite everything, being inspirational and creative. The, mm. They've been let down. And, and, and the simple fact of the matter is they've been asked to do a job that they haven't been trained for now. And the assumption is, I mean, it's a bit like taking a surgeon, a brain surgeon, who's been trained to do brain surgery and asking him to do a knee replacement. It's, it, we're talking about different things. Teachers have been badly let down, badly let down. Mm-hmm. And I, I have to say, you know, the obscenity of having 10 years taken a wrecking ball to uh, the use of technology for teaching learning assessment for 10 years, the obscenity of a government to introduce a law, a law that says now they must provide, you know, what they call remote teaching. 
is beyond beggar's belief, doesn't it? You know, they, but that's politicians for you. They'll they go with the way the flow is, and mm. you know, without getting too political about it. Teachers have been badly left down. We haven't even talked about the COVID and the health stuff, have we? You know, put that to one side. Exactly. There's there's a huge amount of of stuff they're having to deal with at the moment. Bob, I'll have to leave it. I know you've got to go, and uh, I think if people listening, if you interested you know you want to sort of join in that discussion really with the things that we've been talking about then you know I recommend following you Bob on Twitter like you say there's a lot of differing voices as well so they get a a debate going get a discourse going because that's where the good ideas come about isn't it and where the profession can support each other and make maybe an impact on the way things are going in the future with what we mean by education. So thanks again very, very much for your time. And and I think that the the thing, the thing I think to leave you with is this teachers, we need to take back control and that's control from the government, from Ofsted, from the design and the creation of the curriculum and the support of learning and learners and not to swallow what's being forced down our throats. And I have every faith uh, in my colleagues as governors, managers, leaders, head teachers, teachers, parents, and most importantly, learners, that they will come and rise to the challenge. But they've been badly let down, Caroline. Mm. Nice to talk to you. And you, Bob. Thanks ever so much again. And uh, yeah, maybe able to arrange another one then to talk more about assessment. That's Let's something on that. the horizon. Let's do that. All the best. Thank you. Yeah, thanks again, Bob. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to this podcast. It was brought to you by Cornerstones Education. We help primary schools in England, Wales and beyond with the materials and tools to design, deliver and manage their curriculum. Follow us on social media at Cornerstones Edu or visit us on our website, cornerstones.co.uk. We would love to hear from you. Thanks again for listening.